Welcome to Mind Reading Experts in Conversation podcast series. This project explores the patient experience through the prism of literature and personal narrative to inform self-care, patient-centered care and practice as well as humanities research. Do doctors and patients speak the same language and how can we use narrative to bridge the evident gaps? These are the questions that animate the work. Mind Reading began as a collaboration between UCD Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the Diseases of Modern Life project at Oxford University and the University of Birmingham, and expanded to include colleagues across the UK and Ireland and the School of English Drama and Film at UCD. Our intended activities comprise a series of explorations around the central theme of literature and mental health and function as independent events, but are brought together by their intent to explore the best ways of drawing on the insights of historical and literary research in contemporary medical practice in the field of mental health particularly. This podcast series, Experts in Conversation, brings together some of the key themes of the 2020 conference, which we postponed due to COVID-19, and is brought to you by the Humanities Institute at UCD and RCPI Archives. This segment of Vaccinating Ireland, Facts, Fears and Fictions brings us Harriet Wheelock, Keeper of Collections in RCPI, with responsibility for the management and development of RCPI's Heritage Centre. This comprises the unique library, archive and historic items relating to the history of RCPI, the history of medicine in Ireland. In 2018, RCPI's Heritage Centre received full accreditation under the Museum Standards Programme for Ireland. Harriet holds an MA in Archives and Records Management from University College Dublin. An article based on her MA thesis, Archives and Web 2.0, The Postmodern Challenge, was published in the essay collection Archives and Archivists, Two Current Trends, New Voices in 2013. Harriet has just commenced a PhD in the School of Creative Arts, TU Dublin, looking at the history and development of RCPI's museum collections. And today she's going to talk to us about putting together vaccination histories um, and exhibitions based on those items that we have. I'm going to talk today about a bit about the history of vaccination and particularly um, specific, specifically in Ireland. And this research came out of um, the Mind Reading Conference, which we weren't able to hold last year um, because of the uh, COVID outbreak. And we were due to host an exhibition in the Dunleary Rathdown Lexicon Library, which was going to be all based around vaccination. Um, in the end, we put the exhibition online because we couldn't have the um, physical exhibition but hopefully we will be able to do that in the future and um, the exhibition is still available I have to plug it it's if you can find a link on the Heritage Centre website and um, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about some of the things I found out while I was researching for that exhibition and particularly how it links into some of the things that Geraldine has been talking about as well so vaccination came quite quickly to Ireland so Edward Jenner um, who was one of the first to publish research um, into the smallpox vaccine he published, well, he carried out the first inoculation in 1796 and published shortly afterwards. Um, and vaccination was currently on within four years. So the first record of a smallpox vaccination was carried out, carried out by a surgeon, John Creighton, in the Foundling Hospital in Dublin. And he carried it out in 1800. Um, he was involved in opening a dispensary for the infant poor and vaccine inoculation in March of that year. And he'd vaccinated nine children within a year, including his own son. So similar to uh, Jenna, that quite often people who are being vaccinated early on are related to those who are carrying out the vaccination. And um, smallpox is a really big um, issue in Ireland in the 18th century. Gabriel Ashford, who's carried out research, um, has estimated that in the first half of the 18th century, about 20% of all deaths in Dublin were the result of smallpox, and one third of all children's deaths nationwide were from smallpox. And these rates were considerably higher than in other countries. So there was, you know, there was real potential for the for vaccination being introduced into Ireland to have quite a big impact. And for very early on, the state was involved in bringing vaccination to Ireland. So in April 1803, the Lord Lieutenant um, requested the presidents of the College of Physicians and the College of Surgeons in Ireland to consult on the best mode of propagating and preserving genuine cowpox matter in Dublin for transmission by post. 
Within eight months, the two colleges had come together and they founded the Cowpox Institution, which was based on North Cope Street in Dublin. And essentially it was a mail order service to get your vaccination. They ran clinics in Dublin two days a week, but then they also ran this postal order system where practitioners outside of Dublin could write to them and ask for the vaccine to be sent to them so they could carry out inoculations themselves. So within three years of um, the Cowpox Institute being set up, nearly 3,000 inoculations had taken place within Dublin and nearly three and a half thousand packets of vaccine had been distributed around the country. So from quite early on, there was state involvement and you know a fairly rapid involvement of practitioners. One of the earliest people um, to support the adoption of vaccination in Ireland was Dr. Samuel Labatt, who was a fellow of the College of Physicians, and he headed the cowpox institution for over 40 years. And he was really aware of the need to overcome what he described as a strong prejudice against vaccination. And he tirelessly campaigned for its adoption, both within the medical profession, but he also realised the importance of persuading key individuals and organisations to support vaccination. And as Geraldine mentioned, the Catholic Church came out in support of vaccination. That was partly to do with Samuel Labatt's campaign and talking to them and explaining to them why it was important. So the first um, vaccination legislation to be passed in Ireland was passed in the 1840s and responsibility for vaccination was placed on the poor law guardians. This was a bit of a problem, as Geraldine has mentioned. It linked vaccination with the social stigma around the workhouses, and this really impacted on uptake rates. People didn't want to go into the workhouse, they didn't want to go and get their vaccination, and you know there was a mistrust of government as well. Following the famine and the, the reform of the poor laws and the medical charities acts that came after the famine, vaccination was moved from the workhouses to the new dispensary systems that had been set up across the country. And in addition, the responsibilities and incentives for the medical practitioners to carry out vaccinations were increased. So they were paid more per vaccine that they administered. And this resulted in an increase in the um, annual number of vaccinations taking place in Ireland, which had risen to nearly 100,000 by 1860. Um, although vaccination was being encouraged by the state, it wasn't made compulsory until 1863 in Ireland when an act was passed. And again, vaccinations rates increased by about a third, and it was estimated at this stage by nearly 85% uptake across the country by the end of the 1860s. Vaccination legislation was more successful in Ireland than in other parts of the United Kingdom. And it's not really quite clear why this is, but one of the suggestions that historians have made is that the legislation to introduce vaccination into Ireland to make it compulsory was introduced at the same time as the registration of births. And the dispensary doctors were invited to also become the registrars for birth. So essentially you went to one person to register the birth of your child and to get their vaccination done. And it streamlined the process. About There were 756 dispensary doctors in Ireland at the time and 700 of them agreed to also be the new registrars for births. And as a result, it made the process much easier. You got the registration, the vaccination, both certificates issued at once. And again, it led to a really big increase in the numbers taking up smallpox vaccination. So in the decade between 1870 and 1880, there were 7,550 deaths in Ireland that were attributed to smallpox. Between 1900 and 1910, the number of smallpox deaths in Ireland was just 65. So the introduction of vaccination had a huge impact on, on saving lives in Ireland. Um, vaccination faced opposition from the beginning. Um, and oppositions were strengthened with the introduction of compulsory vaccination. So in 1896, the National Anti-Vaccination League brought together several smaller groups into a centralised organisation and a sister organisation, the Irish Anti-Vaccination League, was founded in 1905. Um, opposition to vaccination was based on a couple of different arguments. Um, as Geraldine has talked about, there was a lot of fear and a lot of quite strong language used. Um, 
you know, they there were the, we've got some of the uh, kind of campaign leaflets in the archive, and you know, they they've got some quite graphic pictures of babies who have been infected by the vaccination or claim to be infected by this vaccination, and um, there were claims that the vaccination was leading to the death of infants, and that the medical profession was suppressing the cause of death when they registered the death because they didn't want to show that vaccinations weren't working. Others opposed vaccination because it was compulsory and they felt that it removed free choice. Vaccination in Ireland was also quite localised, so different areas of the country were often identified as being areas of high um, vaccination defaulting and Dublin and Wexford were two areas that were frequently identified as being areas where vaccine uptake was very low. So we have an example in the college archives um, from 1910 the, and to the role that the college was taking in countering anti-vaccination sentiment, which is obviously still something the College of Physicians is doing today. So they addressed a statement and it was directed specifically to Enniscorthy Union, where there had been a recent rise in anti-vaccination sentiment. And the college expressed grave concern that the introduction into Ireland of the crusade against vaccination and the spread in certain districts of this country of the pernicious doctrines taught by the opponents of this beneficial practice. So there's some really quite strong language in the way they're, they're talking about this, you know, that vaccination is this crusade, it's saving lives and this pernicious doctrine that's attacking what they want to be presented as very beneficial practice. Um, the statement uses a combination of statistical and historical precedents to show the value of vaccination. And they conclude in talking about the, there's a lot of talk about the, the presenting evidence, they're trying to show that vaccination is is a, is a good thing and show that it has been successful. Um, and it ends up with the the presidents and fellows of the college would urge the people of Ireland to cling to their faith in a preventative measure which has rid their native land from one of the most terrible plagues which has ever afflicted the human race. In Ireland, the anti-vaccination campaign also became linked into the struggle for Irish nationalism. Um, the, this was particularly intensified after conscientious objection exemption to vaccination was passed in England in 1898, but not extended to Ireland. And um, so a lot of people might not have been particularly that they disagreed with the science or the medicine behind vaccination, but they felt that people ought to have the right to choose whether they wanted to have vaccination. And the outbreak of the First World War saw increased enforcement of vaccination legislation because it was important to keep the troops healthy. And then this obviously led to increasing opposition from nationalists. Um, political independence didn't settle the issue and vaccination opposition continued in the 1920s. However, interestingly, in the 1928 uh, attempt to get a conscientious objection exemption passed in the Irish Parliament actually failed. Um, but the debates at the time again raised this perceived historical association between nationalism and the anti-vaccination movement. So I think there are some, I guess, lessons that can be seen in, as Geraldine was talking about, the kind of the past, looking at how vaccination and vaccination hesitancy has been dealt with in the past and, you know, the showing as as others will be talking about the importance of showing the science behind this, explaining the science in a way that people can understand, not talking down to people when, you know, they're explaining to them why, and then also targeting, as others talk, targeting the information at the groups where there is hesitancy or the groups where there is resistance. And, and I think that's that's really important. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of the main things that I pulled out when I was doing the, it's been just nowhere near, this is, this is my specialist area as it is for other people, but hopefully this has been, uh, I guess, a useful contribution.